Would you pray with me? Father, we give thanks for another day. We thank you for waking us up, enabling us to gather this morning. We praise you for your steadfast love that never ceases. Your mercies that are new every morning and your faithfulness that is great. You alone deserve our worship and so to you alone we give glory and honor. It is as we are in your presence that we recognize that we are not as we ought to be. So now we repent. We repent of sins done. Intentionally and unintentionally. We ask for you to search our hearts this morning. And forgive us. Through Christ. And even this morning, as we sit here, I invite you to take a moment and ask for God to search your heart and to repent to Him before we begin this morning. Lord, hear our prayer. As people of the new covenant in Christ, we can know that you are merciful toward our iniquities and you remember our sins no more. Thank you. We ask this morning for your blessing, your blessing in our lives, in our families. We ask for your help in the matters that are on our our mind even right now. We ask for healing for those who are sick. We ask it in accordance with your will. We pray for faith, faith to trust you, in the valley as on the mountain. We pray for grace to accept your will, even when it is not ours. I pray that you would make it ours. We ask for your protection over the innocent and over the most vulnerable. We ask that reason and justice would prevail. in our country, in our state, in our laws. We pray for justice for the sake of the the lives of the unborn. 
for the sake of your glory as they too bear your image. We ask these things. We pray that you would give to us today ears to hear your word. That you would give to us eyes to see and hearts to believe. We yield ourselves now, God. Prepare our hearts to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own. That hearing, we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And as you're able, would you please stand for the scripture reading this morning from Revelation chapter 2 beginning in verse 18 through the end of the chapter, Revelation 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira writes, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance in that your latter works exceeds the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refused. She refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on, her, on a sickbed, and those who commit adultery worth, with her I will throw into the great tribulation, into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am, who, I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned that some learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and the one who keeps my words till the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule. He will rule them with a, a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Now give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And you may be seated. We are living in an age that could be called pluralism. Not a word we use a lot. An age of pluralism where racial, political, social, and religious differences exist in the same society. This is believed to be a good thing. In some ways it may be. Yet religious pluralism 
is in direct conflict with God's word. For more clarity, one source explains religious pluralism this way. Quote, generally, religious pluralism generally refers to the belief in two or more religious worldviews as being equally valid or acceptable. More than mere tolerance, religious pluralism accepts multiple paths to God or gods as a possibility and is usually contrasted with exclusivism, the idea that there is only one true religion or one way to God, end quote. The Bible is abundantly clear that there is, in fact, only one God, amen, and that there is only one way to that God, amen, and that is through Jesus. The problems with religious pluralism are many. One, as we just noted, the conflict with the Bible itself. The second is the the question of by what worldview will we operate as a society, Some want to propose a you-do-you philosophy. You can live how you want to live, and I can live how I want to live. You believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe. That only lasts as long as it does not interfere with what I do. If we think that that's a stable plan, we are kidding ourselves. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes That's been tried. You can read the book of Judges. It didn't go well. We can't faithfully play the tolerance card in an attempt to appease the world. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah confronts King Ahab and the false prophets who had forsaken or who had abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed Baals. In verse 21, Elijah says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you go on wavering or how long will you go on faltering between two different opinions? Elijah went on to say, if the Lord... If the Lord is God, then we must follow him. If Yahweh, the covenant name of of God, if Yahweh is God, then we must follow him. This is the issue. It was the issue then, it is the issue today. If Yahweh is God, then we must follow him. The issue is one of authority. Who is in charge? Who calls the shots? Who determines what we believe as a society? This is the foundations of the book of Genesis, isn't it? In just a few weeks, we're going to begin a study through the book of Genesis. And very quickly, what we'll find is that the creator of all things has authority over all things. Now, it may not surprise us that our nation, as a nation or a country or a, a society, is accepting religious pluralism more and more. 
But what may surprise us is the increasing acceptance from professing Christians. As our society secularizes, that means as we have an increased absence of a theistic authority, that's what secularism is, the absence of a theistic authority, a deity, a God, a divine authority, the absence of that, as that's happening, as neo-paganism has risen, as worldliness and false teaching has made its inroads into the church, corruption has followed. In the church in America, the church in America has forgotten, has forsaken, has abandoned in many ways the one true and ultimate authority, that being the creator, God. And we can see the evidences around us. In 2022, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research partnered, again, they've done this several times, on a survey, a survey that they call the State of Theology. And they did this, in their words, in order to, quote, take the theological temperature of the United States. The survey includes 35 statements made about God, the Bible, truth, sexual ethics, abortion, and some other things. Respondents were asked to agree or to disagree. The data that came in can be broken down from all of the respondents to, to categories. You can see the data by age group, by region of where people live, by gender, by education, by marital status, by church attendance, by affiliation, and by beliefs. And for our purpose this morning, we'll narrow the research to the category of belief, belief of, of the category they call evangelicals, which will help us get an idea this morning, a picture, a snapshot of the state of the church. Now, evangelicals uh, is a broad term. Uh, some Christians don't like the term evangelicals because it is so broad. Nevertheless, Lifeway Research defines evangelical as people who strongly agreed with four statements. And these are the four statements that they had to strongly agree with in order to be categorized as an evangelical. The first is that the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. The second is, it is very important for me to personally, personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Third, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. And fourth, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. If you strongly agreed with those statements, you are considered an evangelical. And so then what does the survey say? To begin with, it's not all bad news. It's always good to start with good news, right? So here's the good news. A statement was asked, the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. 95% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. Secondly, 
The Bible has the authority, has the authority to tell us what we must do. 94% agreed with that statement. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. 100% of the evangelicals that took the survey agreed with this statement. Fourthly, only those who trust in Jesus alone as their Savior receive God's gift of eternal life. Again, 99%, which this was supposed to be one of the uh, ways that they even got into the category. So thankfully, we had a good percentage there. Uh, Next, sex outside of traditional marriage is a sin. 94% of evangelicals agreed with this statement. And then for our time this morning, there are more questions, but for our time this morning, abortion is a sin to which 92% of evangelicals agreed with this statement, which is a slight increase from the last time they did this survey two years ago. However, sadly, this professed belief clearly did not show up at the ballot box in many states last November. We might add that if our stated beliefs about something are not applied to real life, how much of a belief is that? What is the purpose of such a statement if it doesn't affect our life? Who cares? Who cares about the lip service if it doesn't actually affect the way we live? Well, having said some of those things that are good, Some good signs. The research also found some things that were less positive. To the statement, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 56% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. Jesus was a great teacher, but was not God. 42% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. 57% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. Let me just say, for the record, (laughs) um, none of us are basically good. That's an over-evaluation of your nature. You might say, well, you don't know me. Uh, You're right, I I might not know you. But the the, the scriptures clearly tell us that we are all sinful. That we are born sinners. You didn't become a sinner, you are a sinner. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Well, the hits keep coming. Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. 39% disagreed with this statement. They disagreed that, that it, they're saying it doesn't deserve. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. 65% of evangelicals agreed with this statement.
In the, in the Psalms, David writes and says that in sin, my mother conceived me. That was not a slight on his mother. That was not a slight in, in how he was conceived. It's a description of the nature in which he was brought into the world. That by his nature, coming into the world, he was a sinner by nature. We are not born innocent. We are born, as the scriptures tell us, enemies of God, hostile to God. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. 26% of evangelicals agree with that statement. They may say, well, that's not as high as some of the other percents. That's still one in four. Sitting in here this morning, maybe there's, there's, there's 200 people in here and 50 of you would say that that's true according to this survey. The Bible, the Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior does not apply today. 28% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. More than one-fourth of those respondents. Additionally, that's an increase from the last time they asked that question. In 2020, it's a 17% increase from 2020. The Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior does not apply today. Brothers, sisters, friends, visitors, it does apply today. As does, as does his condemnation of fornication, as does his condemnation of murder, as does his condemnation of gossip and idolatry and adultery. It all applies. We're not singling out homosexuality. The, the data does here. As a church, that's not what we're doing, but we're, we're, we also are saying that it all applies. We don't get to pick and choose what moral decisions the Bible is going to be applicable to in 2022. The Bible determines those things. And lastly, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, not about objective truth. 37% of evangelicals agreed with the statement. If there is no objectivity if there is no right, if there is no truth, then good luck. Believe whatever you want. Right? If there is no objectivity, then the, 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 what is the Bible if it's not objective? What, if the, what is the Bible if it, if it is not determinative? No, it is objective truth. Christianity is an objective religion. It has an object, it has a standard. The scriptures tell us what to believe. It is not a matter of personal opinion. To honor God with our lips while our hearts are far from him is to not honor him at all. When we compare the, the responses of the, the first set of, of statements with the responses of the second set of statements, it's impossible to hold those two things together. 
You cannot simultaneously hold that the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe and then go on to disregard what the Bible says about the nature of sin, the deity of Jesus, the consequences of sin apart from Christ, the inspiration and truth of the Bible, and the condemnation of homosexual relationships. It can't be done. It is inconsistent. And this is not new. What we're seeing is not new. It's not the first, it's not the last kind of this corruption that has infected the church of Jesus. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches. They were actual places, actual churches with actual people. And in each letter, Jesus identifies real and present dangers that the church faces in all ages. Not just at this time when he wrote these things, but even today. Of the seven churches, Jesus gives rebuke to five of them. To the church in Ephesus, he rebukes them because they had lost their first love at being him. The church in Pergamum had embraced false teaching. The church in Sardis was guilty of dead works. The church in Laodicea was spiritually lukewarm. And the church in Thyatira lacked discernment and tolerated heresy. You heard already read for you chapter 2 verses 18 through 29 where we read about the church in the city of Thyatira. And we read about the danger of corruption. In all of his letters, in most of his letters, Jesus began with commendation. He began with something good. That's good to begin a letter with something good, isn't it? You don't want to get to the bad stuff right away. You want to say something positive. What's something positive that we can see? And Jesus starts his letter that way as well. You can look at it again in chapter 2. You're using a pew Bible. It's on page 1029. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. What Jesus tells this church, what he commends them for is their love. Whereas the church in Ephesus had lost their love, here we see this church had love. They had works, they had faith, they had service, they had patient endurance. Even so much that their latter, what, what, what was happening later in their, their church's life, what was greater than the first. Which means they, they were progressing, they were growing, there was, there was a maturation happening in this church as it relates to their love. The church was known for it. They were growing in it. And it was evidenced by their deeds of service. But Jesus had more to say. And he gives a rebuke in verse 20. He says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. 
this rebuke here is a, a rebuke for the lack of discernment that the church was exercising. As we read, they tolerated that woman Jezebel. Now, whether or not there was actually a woman named Jezebel in the church, or this is a pseudonym to talk about the false teaching of someone like Jezebel in the Old Testament, and we just referenced Elijah and King Ahab earlier. That same section is where you, you read about Jezebel and her wickedness. The point is that there was teaching, false teaching, that was seducing the servants of God to practice sexual morality and eat food sacrificed to idols. This false teaching was influencing or corrupting the church. It was false teaching. It was false doctrine that was being accepted. The church had love, but they had no discernment. Love and compassion, void of robust theology, is weak and fragile. Rather, it is a deep theology that leads to deep love. It's actually the more we understand who God is, that's how our love actually grows, deepens, and is strengthened. To have one without the other is to have neither. The absence of discernment gave rise to tolerance, as he says. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. They're tolerating the, the false teaching, the false teaching that opposed God and his word. It was a deviation from the truth, and the church was tolerating it. They were putting up with it. They were going along with it, even as it corrupted the church. It tolerated heretical teaching that led to and seduced people. This seducing, one commentator says, never means a mere error, but fundamental departure from the truth. The false teaching was an intentional corruption of the church, not a mere error. It was, we could even say, it was satanic. In verse 24, he talks about the deep things of Satan. False teaching is not arbitrary. It is not neutral. It is wicked. It is evil. It is the enemy of truth. It must be identified and it must be rejected. It is true for us today. There's a lot of false teaching in the church today. There's a lot of teaching that, that goes against what the Bible actually says. And it must be identified and it must be rejected. And the only way you identify it and the only way you reject it is if you know the truth. You know this, that in, in, in banks, they don't, they don't train tellers on, with the counterfeit money, but with the real money. Why? So when the counterfeit money comes, they know it's not the real money. You must know the truth if you're going to spot the lie. Jesus' rebuke is because of their tolerance of sin. And this rebuke is not without consequence. Keep reading in verses 21 and following of the judgments. I gave her time to repent, but she refused to repent of her sexual morality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her... I will throw into great tribulation because they repent, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each, each of you according to your works. 
Jezebel's refusal to repent furthers the points that this was not a mere accidental theology, uh, an accidental error in belief. No, this was intentional. This was intentional false teaching. And for it, judgment came. Because there was no repentance, judgment came. Consequence followed. Repentance, repentance is the solution. It's always the solution. It is the remedy. It's not a get out of free jail, get out of jail free card, but it is the recognition of our sin. It is the, the turning from our sin. It is the, the 180 degree change of mind and action. It is hearing and then heeding God's word. Some of us have heard God's word on different matters, but we've not heeded God's word. Repentance is different than saying that I'm sorry. Repentance is a change. It's a transformation. It's a going in one direction to going in the opposite direction. A forsaking of sin to pursue what God has said. The absence of repentance meant judgment for Jezebel. And for those who shared in her corruption, they too would be judged. We ought to understand that our, our sin, our false doctrine doesn't happen in isolation. That it affects other people. And there's a great consequence for that. We can think of a story like Jonah who disregarded God and his word and put at risk who knows how many sailors on that boat because of his poor decisions. To make matters worse, we can see here that, that these people not were just collateral damage. They partnered in with the deception, with the false teaching. We ought to be careful about what we teach. Our sin, our false teaching undoubtedly affect other people. And God will deal with the unrepentant. Well, Jesus doesn't end there with the bad news. He continues on in verse 24 to give a, an exhortation. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, you who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. So he's saying in this church, there were those who had gone after Jezebel in the ways of Jezebel, but not everyone had. Thankfully, and so Jesus writes to them and says, to you who haven't, to you I say, I do not lay on you another burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. To those who, who were not led astray, those who did not abandon the gospel, those who were not corrupted, those who were not wavering between two opinions, to those who, who recognize that Yahweh is God and therefore he is to be followed. Jesus says, I don't lay another burden on you. I'm not going to judge you like I'm judging Jezebel. Rather, hold fast. Keep the word of, of Christ until the end. Remain faithful. In the church of Jesus Christ in America, there are those who have been corrupted. 
There are those who are believing false things. There are those who are pursuing what we might call the way of Jezebel. We don't have to be those people. We don't have to waver between two opinions. This morning, as we sit here today, we can recognize that the Lord is Yahweh. The Lord is God, and therefore, he is who we follow. Jesus concluded this letter to the corrupt church with a promise. To the one who conquers. To the one who, who's the one who conquers? It's the Christian. God's child. To the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule with them. Rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots were broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says he'll give him two things. One is authority, authority to rule, ruling with Jesus. And secondly, he says, I will give him the morning star. What's the morning star? If you go a little further into the book of Revelation, you find out who the morning star is. It is Jesus himself. What is Jesus saying? To those who are faithful, the promised reward is me. Jesus is the promised reward. It's not the acceptance of the world. It's Jesus. So much of our problems stem from wanting what we want when we want it. But for the Christian, for the one who has an ear to hear, for the one who heeds the rebuke of Jesus, who holds fast to the end, he will reign with Christ and will have Christ. That's the promise. And Christian, that ought to be the hope that you have today. Give me Jesus. Take the world and give me Jesus. The danger in the church in Thyatira was... The dangers are as real as ever before. The lack of discernment comes from the lack of knowledge of God. The knowledge of who he is. The knowledge of his word, of his will, and of his way. If we don't know God, we won't know what he says. This lack of discernment then leads to corruption. The corruption that we're seeing today. The corruption that those, those just snapshot of those statistics are giving to us. This is unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness comes from either an ignorance of the truth or a willful, intentional dismissal of the truth. And may it not be so among us. By grace, may we be found faithful. If you are not a Christian this morning, this might sound harsh to you. I'm not sure how it sounds to you, but I want you to know there's an invitation for you. There's an invitation for you to believe God's word this morning. To not turn away from the truth, but to, to face the truth. To face the truth of what the Bible says about you and about me. And that we are sinners and left to ourselves enemies of God. And yet that's not all that the Bible says about us. It also says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So though you are a sinner, you are loved. You're loved so much that Jesus came to die for you. That's what it required. And if you will but repent of your sins and believe the gospel, you too can know the hope. You too can know the promise of reward that is coming. But to rule with Jesus and to have Jesus for all of eternity.
If you are a Christian this morning, may God help you to hear his word. May God help you to discern the truth from the lie. May God help you to walk in obedience. May he hold you together as you hold on to him. And you can take courage this morning that our faithfulness is only made possible because God has already been faithful to us. He's already been faithful to you. Your faithfulness is not you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It is God being merciful to you and kind to you and giving to you what you need. Paul writes it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We can complete the race. We can run the race. We can be found faithful because of our faithful God. Who are you trusting in today? Church of Jesus Christ, who is the authority in your life today? Under whose authority will you live this week? May God help us. Father, we give thanks even now for the hope that we find in Christ. We recognize that apart from Christ. There is no hope. And yet be thanks be to God that Christ has come. He has come to do what we could not do, to finish what we could not finish, and has, in fact, done it all. It is finished. And now, by grace, we live in the finished work of Jesus. By grace, through faith, we can know the hope of heaven. By grace, we can walk in obedience. By grace, we can be found faithful in the end. Oh God, we're so thankful for your faithfulness to us, which calls us then to be faithful to you. Would you help us this week, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our God.